Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place for creative and inspiring learning from around the world. Listen to teachers, parents and mentors share how they are supporting children to live their best authentic life and are proving to be a guiding light to us all. Hello and welcome back to the Education on Far podcast. Wow, we're here. It's episode 249. And as I mentioned a few weeks ago, we're going to have a pause over April, just while we reset a few things in the background here and have a have a short rest. We've been going for well over two years without a break now, which is absolutely incredible. But I wanted to have this celebration of what we've been able to achieve here as a community. And I'm delighted to announce that on episode 250, I'm going to be chatting to Andrea Zafiraku. Now, many of you may well know that she's the Global Teacher Prize winner for 2018. Now, what's so amazing about Andrea is that the arts is such an important part of who she is and what she does as a teacher. And also, she's put the $1 million prize fund, which she gained from that award, into the arts and has created a charity to support the arts in school. Now, this conversation was absolutely incredible. I can't wait to share it with you. And so... If you're not on our email list and you want to keep up to date with everything and and get all the latest information, please do that. If you go to educationonfire.com, there's a sign-up email subscription there, and that keeps you up to date. But if not, put a date in your diary, Monday, May the 2nd. That's when this episode is then going to go live, and I I can't wait to share it with you. Now, a couple of episodes ago, I chatted to Iona Jackson from Egerio. We were talking about the research they'd done into pupil learning experience and well-being, And it really kind of struck a chord with me because it's such an important factor. I think any of us that have been involved in teaching or have have children at home know that well-being and the mental health of our children is so, so important and that the education system, as it were, is not necessarily the most supportive. Um, And so what we need to do is we need to go above and beyond now to support anyone that's struggling to keep on top of understanding who may well be struggling and not just those that are showing obvious signs, but to sort of to really be able to kind of to talk to those people and, and see any problems before they arise. And so today I'm really delighted to be chatting to Simon Antwis. Now, not only has he been a head teacher of three schools and a, and a school inspector, he's now the senior education consultant at Steer Education. Steer provide a whole school mental health platform that empowers teachers to measure, track and improve the self-regulation and mental well-being of young people. Now, I wasn't quite sure exactly how this was going to work before I chatted to Simon, but he took me through in real great detail and it really makes so much sense, just the way they've put it together, the way it supports everyone, the way it gives access to teachers to kind of really keep on track with everything that's going on. Now, 100% of schools say that STEER enables them to identify vulnerable students earlier than existing approaches. Now, that's, that's, quite, that's quite a claim. Now, they also won at the Better Awards 2021 as the Leadership and Management Solution winner. So I really hope that this conversation gives you some real insight, some real understanding and some, some hope, really, that, that you know, there are systems out there, that there are solutions out there to really help us in this well-being journey, despite the education system that we have and despite all the challenges that we have, because the most important thing is to look after and empower our children to do the best they possibly can as they're learning. So just before this fantastic conversation with Simon, here's a quick thank you to our sponsor. The National Association for Primary Education is a non-political UK charity. As Vice Chair, I'm delighted to be hosting six online CPD events to enable you to be supported as educators, no matter where you are in the world. To find out more information, go to nape.org.uk forward slash online hyphen events. That's N-A-P-E 
www.org.uk forward slash online hyphen events. Hi, Simon. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Education on Fire podcast. Mental health, well-being, and the, I think the general understanding of what's most important for our our young people is incredibly important. So thanks for being here and, and give us a little bit of an idea of exactly how you're involved and what STIR Education is all about. Hi, Mark. Uh, thanks for inviting me on. It's really great to talk to you. Yeah, when I was a, a head teacher, obviously, um, I felt that I had, I had a really clear idea of what was going on academically in the school in terms of progress and, and attainment and achievement, and uh, that I had, a, I had a dashboard where I, you know, I could monitor what was going on in the school, identify uh, areas for development, celebrate things that are going well, and so on and so forth. On the pastoral side of the school, I felt that I didn't have a dashboard like that at all, and I was relying on you know, soft data, um, instinct, very thin pieces of evidence like attendance. And I, I was always in search of something that could that could address that issue. And then I stumbled across um, a product called Steer Tracking by, by an organization called Steer. Um, and it is an innovative sort of student voice tool that, that helps monitor children's well-being and mental health in, in a really unique way. Um, and it, it, was, it was in place at a friend's school. And I remember going to the school to, to see an action and I'm taking a photograph of the screen, the dashboard that I could see. I was so excited by it um, and sharing it then with my SLT at the back at the ranch. Um, and I launched at the school with great success. It had a huge impact on mental health and well-being. Uh, and I think by extrapolation, an impact on academic outcomes as well. Um, and it helped empower my staff, um, it helped celebrate things that they were achieving in a way that I couldn't before. And it, it really added to the sort of strategic plan for the school. And then I took it into my next school um, where I was head. Uh, and then I took it to all the heads in the group. I was so excited about it. And I would, I would talk to anyone about it, bore them over a pint or a cup of coffee about it. Um, so much so that when, when I decided to um, leave headship, um, I applied for a, a post with, with the organisation and was lucky to be offered uh, the post of senior education consultant. Uh, and I started in January. So um, I feel like I've, I've been working for them before, uh, voluntarily <laughs> and for free, but now it's it's all above board and, and I'm, 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 I'm working for them directly. So uh, that, that's that's been the journey. The, the, the tool um, is really... Um, a much better way of identifying what's really going on with children on their what we call their backstage because as you'll know children when when asked or observed don't always reveal um, what's going on in their minds um, in the way that we want them to and uh, some children will get missed in terms of you know issues with their uh, well-being or their mental health so they take a, a short assessment um, online using um, headphones like we're wearing now, um, either on an iPad or a desktop, and they get asked to imagine a space in which they feel that they're most uh, happy and the most comfortable. Um, so when I did it myself, I, I imagined a little fishing spot that I've got just outside Bristol where no one hardly goes and I get the place to myself. Uh, and then they get asked a series of questions and they have to answer on a sort of a, a Likert scale, if you like, um, how they would react if someone came into that space, uh, how they would react if they weren't able to use that space, and so on and so forth. And based on those answers, we can identify the level of their ability to self-regulate, which is what we want for all our children. 
uh, by the time they leave school that they're able to make great decisions uh, in the in the right context with the right information. And as as all educationists will know, you know, children range from those that are highly dysregulated, either because they come from challenging backgrounds or there's things going on in their life, and and they they make difficult you know don't make the right decisions in the in the right situations, or indeed they're highly overregulated. Uh, and you know, I've had a very uh, narrow experience um, going up to leaving school, and then when they get into the workplace and beyond, uh, they're they're not able to make the right decisions. And the the idea of self-regulation is split into four areas: trust of self, trust of others, seeking change, and self-disclosure. And schools will be able to get a dashboard of where children are placed on a continuum in all four of those areas. And um, from that, we can identify pupils they might want to prioritise. Aligned to that is a huge sort of encyclopedic bank of actions um, that school pastoral staff can choose from to, to put in place in an action plan for that child uh, and then monitor that child over the next six months to 12 months and take the assessment again uh, on a termly basis and we can see if there's been any impact. Uh, and I found it as a head an unbelievably powerful tool to transform what we did in two of my schools and indeed you know, in, a, in a whole school group, an international school group. And because the questions are based around imagining a space, it's, it's, it, it, it crosses you know, sort of language barriers and also it can be used for children as young as year three all the way up to year 13. And uh, yeah, and I, you know, I'm, I'm a passionate advocate of it even before I decided to work with Steer uh, and would try to convince any head um, if they felt the same way as me in terms of the pastoral dashboard to, to adopt it. I love the fact you were kind of like a volunteer marketing executive for them before you before you joined the company. So, I don't think they'd ask me so. to be, but uh, I think they forgave me. <laughs> um, uh, it's 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 really important, and I, I just think the one thing that anybody involved with young people and, and certainly within the education system knows is that you know well-being, not an advert to commas, but just sort of the ability to live yourself authentically within a school get excited about what you're learning get excited about where your life could go and and the way you interact with everybody is the, is the foundation for everything and then the rest of school supports you then to be able to give you the skills and the tools and the understanding and and, and the life that you then want to create both immediately while you're doing it day to day but also into the future and it makes so much sense to so many of us in education that if any part of that is not quite in kilter with the other then it's going to be very difficult for children to be able to thrive and to do what they need so it it is amazing isn't it that it's taken this long to have this kind of tool available to be able to to make that foundation so solid well my motivation as a head was twofold one i i know that happy children equals motivated children equals overperforming children so that that's one mansion to live by. The second one is a bit more um, morbid in that I felt as a head, if, if I ever under my stewardship had a situation where a child, God forbid, did something unforgivable in terms of self-harm or even suicide, that I would feel that I'd have to resign on the spot. Um, and I, I didn't want that to be even a possibility you know, in, in the time I had in, in leading three schools. So this, this this tool was a godsend for me because I felt um, it has the ability to identify what, what we're calling the hidden middle. 
so you've got children that are you know high self disclosers they they will tell you if things are not are not right or it manifests itself in their, in their behavior uh, and and pastoral staff you know across the country are brilliantly skilled at using their instincts to tell them what's going on with young people uh, or listen to what uh, how that child's behaving or attendance or any other metrics you want to talk about or equally have a great knowledge of what's going on domestically uh, and can pull all that together to identify you know most of the children but the revelatory moment I had when I first ever got the data back from the first ever assessment at, at my first school was that I sat around with the SLT and two things happened. One is that all the children identified, or the majority of them, the staff knew about already. So I could pat them all on the back and say, you know, this is, this is affirmation of what a great job you're doing. Because I know when I was a pastoral leader that, that only the head really got what I was doing. And, and how well balanced the children were because of the work that's gone outside the classroom. And it was really hard to sort of quantify that. So that was the first thing. The second thing was we would identify uh, on, on occasion a pupil no one had identified through any of the mechanisms I've just spoke to you about. And there was a, there was a, there was a girl, my, my, um, uh, in my second headship, I'll, I'll just call her R for the sake of anonymity, but she... She was head girl material in the hockey team, you know, straight A's. And she came up as a priority pupil. And I think at that moment, I looked at my SLT and I could see them all looking at their shoes and not trying to look me in the eye because I've been pushing this tool. Uh, and I think they're all thinking, this is a load of rubbish. You know, Simon's lost the plot. Um, so, you know, it's up to the school to whether they go with the pupils identified by Steel. We're not suggesting, you know, the tool is just there to identify pupils and obviously then it's up to the team to apply their skills and their judgment. So on that occasion, we decided not to put an action place plan in place for R and, and believe it to be an anomaly. About a month later, um, she just walked off school site. Now, this is a school where children don't walk off school site. So there was general consternation. Uh, and one of the pastoral staff found her at home. And at home, neither mother or father were around. The father worked away in Malaysia. Uh, and the mother had gone out to nurse him because he was really ill. Uh, and so she'd been at home for about a month, you know, preparing meals and being, and play, you know, basically being a parent to her siblings. Uh, and none of us knew. And she was brilliant at hiding it. Um, brilliant. She had a brilliant front stage. But what this tool did is it, 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 can, you know, it can circumnavigate that and get to the backstage. Uh, and, you know, we could put an action plan in place for her and the support and intervention she needed. Uh, so, you know, my motto really is, you know, if I was trying to persuade anyone to use this tool, is that it, what it can do for you is it can, it can prevent any more R's happening, and uh, you know ensure that you know, head teachers can sleep at night in, in the comfort that they're, they're doing absolutely everything they can to identify every child possible. And it seems to me then that because every pupil is going to be um, involved in this, it just becomes the norm. So yeah. there's no stigma attached. There's no need to reach out or to do anything. It's like, this is what we do. This is supporting you in, in all the yeah. ways that you said. And then there's no there's no need to do anything extra other than when it becomes apparent that you might want to then, like say, intervene in some way or another or have a conversation then that can be done very discreetly. And, and and I just think there's a barrier that's being broken down there, which must be a really important thing. Well, I think this is genuine student voice for me because I know that schools work really hard uh, using surveys and questionnaires and chat hubs and you know informal conversations. And, and that's great. And none of, that, none of that 
all of that has its value. But, you know, I was an inspector back in the day. And one of the, one of the questions I really couldn't get behind was when the first question of the survey to the children during inspection would say, do you feel safe? I think that is possibly one of those inane questions you can ask a child, because if they aren't, A, do they know what safe means? It's, it's a different thing to different children. Um, uh, B, are they willing to reveal that they're safe? Uh, and C, you know, they might, they might not want to draw attention to themselves. So I don't think you're ever going to get anything out of that, that question. Um, and you know, it, it might identify a child that thinks, right, yeah, I'm going to take this opportunity to say I'm not safe. And I know the attention is going to come. People are going to react. And that's fine. But generally, most children, I think, you know, don't behave like that. And the, and the steer tracking tool is a lot more sophisticated uh, getting to really what is going on with that child, in, in, on the, as I say, on the backstage. In terms of engagement with the tool, as you say, uh, students are used to being surveyed. They, they find it quite quirky at first when they, they first get asked the question. And the, um, the, the, the more students the child, the more, the more questions they can ask sometimes. Why am I, why am I being asked about space? I don't, you know, I don't get it. You know, how do I get this right? You know, so you get that. With parents, you know, and I was very open as a head with my parents. I said, look, we've got this tool. Um, I take well-being seriously, and I, I want I want to support you as much as possible to find uh, you know children that might, might be missed through all conventional mechanisms. And um, you know, when, whenever I'm asked by a parent, "Have you got mental health issues at your school?" I will say, "Yeah, of course we have. There's young people in it." Um, the question you need to ask me is, "Can we identify it? Do we do something about it? And what has the impact been?" And if any head is telling you there aren't those issues in this school, then they're they're either being ignorant or um, arrogant, one of the two. So, you know, 95% of parents would go, great, I'm really pleased you're doing it. Yeah, go for it. Uh, but 4% of parents say, look, I've got some questions to ask. You know, um, can you just clarify some things? 1% of parents might say, look, we've had some bad experiences with this in the past, you know, social care or being referred to an agency and, and there's a back history you might want to know about. And, you know, with a good conversation, I, I, t- I tend to be able to convince parents that, that they should go for this. So engagement's really high. Um, and you know, when I talk about this tool to prospective parents, you know, I, I can see the reaction in the room when I talk about it, particularly, you know, um, I'd say mums. Uh, I hope that's not too patronising saying that, but you know, I can see that in the room that they think, right, this guy's serious about, you know, monitoring my child's mental well-being for the full five, seven years that they're here and beyond. You know, they, they get to keep the data when they they're older and they can manage their own data we have something called take the wheel where they get to see the, the what, what what the tool's telling them uh, and they can they can go launch into university or the world of work without finding it difficult you know i know my first year at univer- my first time at university was a bit of a disaster in terms of trying to live alone cook um, manage relationships being away from home and I, and I would have really appreciated having a tool which had seven years worth of data in it saying look this is what happened to you in year eight this is what we did and it worked you might like to try that when you're 19 and you're at university miles away. Um, so, yeah, I, I describe it to parents as being it's a proactive tool. It also is working alongside the child in real time and it looks after them after they've moved on to the next stage of their life. So if, if, you're, if you want me to convince you that pastoral care is excellent at this school, I challenge you to tell me that that, that, that tool doesn't cover all the bases. And and in terms of sharing that data, so you you have the the, the assessment, and then you have the data, which obviously the school can can look through. Yeah. So 
that then goes to the child it goes to the parent um how, how does how does how does that work no for in in the, the years up till year 11 the data is is carefully anonymized to you know, comply with gdpr um and it is basically just shared amongst the the, the pastoral staff um we, we feel that if it, uh, up to that age to arm the child with quite sophisticated data which is really hard to interpret um and you know we don't want children to compare themselves with each other that, that we we manage the data in that way until such point as they can move on to take the wheel which is basically the sixth form and then they get training on how to interpret that data um uh, you know how to use it to develop their their soft skills ready for the workplace so we, we have another product called use here which is based on an app on a phone and the child can self-assess whenever they like and whatever whatever context they want to do it in. And I've used it as well as a, as a tool for my own well-being and mental health. And that's much more interactive. And it, and it sits alongside you know, um, you know, a programme of lessons that can be delivered as part of the PSHE programme or careers programme or whatever in your school, which hits a lot of the Gatsby benchmarks, which helps prepare children for the world of work. So it, it slightly changes its narrative um, when they get to that age. But, well, yeah, we've... we've we think maybe we've got that right because they're showing data. If there's a point where the child has been a priority pupil for a while and, and we feel that uh, we need support in, in stepping up interventions, that we have a module you know, called Family Signposts where we will develop an action plan which is palatable to all the people that be in the room and we invite the family in um, and to get them on side so that they can you know, support the actions that are going on in the school at, at home. Um, another part of the, the product we, we, we produce is well, something called Safeguarding it's where the child can take another assessment that's only another extra five minutes. So, so it'd be 20 minutes rather than 15. And they get asked to imagine school as their space this time. And they get asked similar questions and they get a similar you know, um, like a scouter answer on. And what it does is it can, it can compare their biases in the four areas, trust of self, trust of others, seeking change and um, self-disclosure at school and in their, you know, their actual life away from school. And that's really powerful because what it can show you is often that school is a huge protective factor and that the biases are fewer and, and less extreme at school than they are outside school. And um, you know, as a head teacher, what you can do is you can look at cohorts. So for example, in my first headship, I could look at year nine girls, self-disclosure was an issue at one school. They, they weren't they weren't speaking up in lessons and they, and they weren't they weren't engaging with student voice um and then we put together a cohort plan which is shared with the whole school uh, to try and address that and that's why i believe there is an impact on academic outcomes because you know if a child doesn't trust themselves or they don't trust others or they've got low self-disclosure in the classroom you've got an issue haven't you they're not, they're not going to engage with the lesson so um once you get to the point where you've 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 embedded this so deeply that it's shared right from senior leadership right down to the classroom practitioners. It will it will have a huge impact in your school. Yeah, I I love the fact that you you get this sort of sense of 
it it's being taken care of. I think I think as a parent and and also as a, as a teacher of any given class, you obviously you're wanting to be as aware and understanding as you possibly can be across the board. But I think the one thing we all know is the fact that no matter what questions you ask or how observant you think you are, it's really hard to get the information and, and the understanding that you're talking about, which you can only get in that kind of situation, like you say. Um, and so I think to understand that you've got that level of engagement and that level of understanding and um, and that data, for, for a better word, um, it kind of it kind of makes me sort of feel safe in in the impact that you know like you say if there's something which is not immediately obvious we know that it's going to get caught somewhere or it's going to someone someone's going to be aware of it enough to be able to take that forward and and i think i think that that's that's very powerful to know whether you actively ever engage in it as a parent yourself or or whatever in in that way Absolutely. You know, I, I, I made steer tracking fundamental to my strategic plan in two schools. Um, and I, I, I've, I've no, no doubt it, it was a, a contributory factor to, the, to improving outcomes, not just pastorally, but also you know, academically. We, 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 I saw huge swings in value added in both schools. And I know that, that, that can be multifactorial, but I'm, I, you know, I've no doubt that you know, steer tracking played a huge part in that. Um, and you know, hence, you know, I, I was such an advocate of it you know, to, to anyone that would listen. So, you know, I, I couldn't recommend it highly enough. And so, for people who who want to know more about it, what's what's their kind of way in? Is it a question of just going to the website? Is it a question of um, having a, a conversation with somebody? How, how do you sort of start to engage with people who've not come across it? Uh, well, yeah, there's, there's two ways. One is to reach in, which is to look at the website, as you say, and uh, you know. Uh, I'm available on LinkedIn uh, as as many of my colleagues. If you if you search for Steer or my very unusual second name Antwis A N T W S, there aren't many of us, so that should be easy to find. And equally, we reach out. You know, um, so you know, we we communicate regularly um, with uh, you know, uh, press releases, for example, that are, that are coming up shortly about you know the the evidence that we're finding using all the data across all the schools that we use. You know. You know, Seventy to eighty thousand children over over a long period of time in in, in about two hundred settings. Um, that there can't be many organisations that have got that level of data that are showing you know how how children's mental health and wellbeing is changing over time, particularly as well COVID, uh, and the, and the, the press release that's coming out soon is going to um, uh, the headlines are that, that you know COVID has had more an impact on teenage girls than it has on teenage boys. And the recovery has been slower in teenage girls than it has in teenage boys, and we think that's really powerful. And, and that you know, the government and other bodies you know need to be aware of that. And if I was a head teacher still, uh, and I had my cover, you know, COVID recovery premium, um, you know, which equates to fifty pounds a child, I wouldn't. I would prioritise it on addressing their mental health and well-being, and not two math lessons. Um, you know, for the same money, you can you can afford five years tracking of a child's mental health right through their school career, or two math lessons. That to me is a stark headline. Um, and I, whilst you know it is a serious issue that the children um, who've suffered through COVID have will have gaps in their education. I think if you arm you arm a child with the right level of self regulation and all the other soft skills. Uh, and you address their mental health and well-being, they will be able to cope better with any of the gaps that may appear. Because what what we need young people to be able to do is to go, 
into the workplace and further in higher education armed with the right skills, if they have those and they're happy and they're motivated, they will make up for those gaps because largely the gaps are down to content. And if we can address the skills, then the content can be made up. So I don't want to diminish that, but I think that's the priority. I think that's true. And I think I think one of the problems that we often encounter within the school system is, of course, it's very rigid in terms of time and development. So, you know, like you say, there's only gaps in knowledge because by the end of, you know, June, for example, we needed to have this in place in order to take an exam. Um, we know as adults, the reality is, is that that could be taken next year or in a year's time or in 10 years time, depending on where you are in your sort of learning cycle. And we know that everyone is learning ongoing you know throughout their education but also into their into their workforce and 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 beyond and i think like you said with the skills and the understanding that we're talking about here one like you say it probably supports them to do all the work that they need to do in the moment which is all all that we can do but also to know that we have been through a pandemic and the world is different than it was five years ago and that's just a reality and if that has affected you in any particular way having the understanding and the knowledge and the support and yourself in your best possible place enables you to do the best you can now but also to acknowledge that we've been through something which has been incredibly difficult and that doesn't matter because you can then take those skills forward to get the knowledge or what you need in order to to proceed as you get um, further into life i couldn't agree more you know we, we need to reassure children that this is recoverable um uh, uh, and uh, if it's dealt with in the right way if we keep telling young people that they've got they've got gaps in their education, then you know that's going to affect their mental health and well-being. Um, I think we need you know need to, I'm not saying we have to downplay this, but I think it needs careful management and communication to young people so that they they don't stress about it. Yeah, I agree. Careful management is absolutely crucial, and and also I just wanted to just make sure that everyone knows we'll have links to um to the website and all the things that we've talked about in the show notes as well. So that way you should be able to make it easy to to get in contact and and um and find out more information. So let's just swing the conversation a little bit into into your educational experience and um and is there a, a teacher or indeed an experience generally which had a had a big impact that you'd like to share? Yeah, I mean, highly influenced by a lot of teachers, but um, one stands out for me, actually. Um, I seem to be, even at the age of 52, can remember quite a lot of detail. Uh, Mrs. Osborne was her name, and uh, she was my primary school teacher um, and uh, in a small village in North Kent. Um, she was brilliant, um, and she inspired me to read. I'm not a, I'm not a great reader. <laughs> um, my wife's much better than I am, but uh, she, she instilled in me a love of reading. And um, at the end of every day, we would we would read excerpts from Roald Dahl um, books, uh, which I've, I still love now. And uh, one stands out in particular is Danny Champion of the World. Uh, that resonated with me massively. Um, she also um, chose me as um, the Duke of Edinburgh in 1977 for the Silver Jubilee celebration parade through the village. Uh, which I'll never forget, but uh, I didn't quite get over the disappointment that I, I wasn't going to stand next to the Queen during that parade. I was, I was about twenty meters back. But uh, uh, so she, um, I, can, I can still visualise moments where you know where, where I was upset or excited or bored or you know um, unmotivated, and um, you know, she seemed to be able to solve it all. And um, you know, I, I, I remember her very fondly. Um, 
it's an amazingly common theme which we find on the podcast that it's it's the understanding of how someone felt that has the biggest impact it seems from any given teacher or situation you know very rarely does anyone say this person taught me how to do this particular maths issue or geography or, or whatever it happens to be it's you know this opportunity was given to me I felt like this or they understood what I was going for and I think that sort of personal understanding and knowing that the relationships are key to everything um is is, is really important and I think you know in terms of what we're talking about today you sort of having the data and the understanding of what might be going on in the background to then have that personal contact and understanding and be able to do that sort of initial um support in that kind of person-to-person way i think is is really key and sort of blends these all these two ideas together really really importantly um is there a piece of advice you've ever been given or a piece of advice you'd give your younger self um that you think would be would be helpful and i i do often caveat with the fact i do know the younger people may not take that on board having given it but if they don't if they haven't heard it or understand it then i guess that's that's not going to be very helpful either um absolutely uh, i wouldn't wouldn't be where i am if i hadn't um been given advice or taken it or ignored it <laughs> uh, and that's what shapes your journey so um yeah having chance to reflect now you know i've you've know, come to the end of my headships and um uh you know, doing a different role. I think, to me, if I if I was advising a new, a new head, particularly, uh, I would repeat the advice that I got, which was to keep things in perspective. Remember that you're just a custodian, a steward of the whatever school you're going to lead for quite a short space of time compared to the history of that school. Um, uh, and uh, you know, keep that in mind because then you won't get inflated sense of you know your importance because that that school will exist before you were there and after you were there. That's not to say you can't have a huge impact on the lives of people that are there, as I've just demonstrated with Mrs. Osborne, but um, I think that's that keeps you in check. Second thing is, um, whenever anyone comes to me and says, I'm thinking of a headship, the first question I always say to them is, how old are you? And if they give me some ridiculous age, like 32, I would say, well, what's the rush? Because it, it's not a race, and you're not a better head because you got there first. Just like, you know, I always had I always had an issue with children taking exams early. And I said to the parents, but, you know, it's, it's a grade six. And when they're 40, it's not going to have written next to it. It's grade six taken at 14. It's grade six. Why not wait two years and make it grade seven? I don't, you know, and the same with the headship. Don't be, in a, don't be in a race to get there because it's a long, hard job um, and it can aid you. And, you know, you have to retire at some point. And if you get to an age where you're quite a long way from retirement and you're still in headship, then that's quite daunting. So that'd be my next bit. And the last bit of advice I would hand on is be kind. Um, be kind, be yourself. Because it, it's exhausting being ahead if you're pretending to be something you think you ought to be or what you think people want to see from you. Advice to myself, I think, looking back, is be braver in all aspects of my life. You know, There's lots of girls I wish I'd asked out, which I didn't because I was scared stiff. Um, be loyal, um, you know, where it's, where it's warranted. But, you know, loyalty is such a valuable, valuable commodity, um, particularly as a head, you know, and I know it's some deputies have to be loyal despite, you know, what they might think privately, but um, good deputies are loyal and they'll tell you privately. Um, and then trust. Don't waste it on people who don't deserve it. Um, but it, you know, it, it's vital that you, you, you learn to trust people. But 
get better at deciding who who who's earned it and who hasn't. So that would be my nuggets. Yeah, um, some really powerful things in there. And I think I think the thing about experience in age is that a lot of what you talked about, I think there's something about the maturity that enables that to be easier in some ways. And 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 like you said, you know, rushing into things doesn't necessarily <laughs> help you or prepare you in in, his, in the way that it it may well do. I think if I, if I had a 52 year old brain inside a 20 year old body, I think I'd be all powerful. Yeah, uh, well, if you can if you can get that magic bullet, then I think. <laughs> yeah. you'll be right um, and is there a resource that's had a big impact on your life that you'd like to share? And this could be a video, a song, a film, a book, a podcast, anything, but something which kind of you think, yeah, that's really, really made a big difference. I thought a lot about this because I, I suppose the obvious thing is to come up with some educational tome that everyone should have read. And, um, you know, and I've read things like Leadership Matters by Andy Buck and things like that, you know, which, which resonated with me. But I decided to go down a different route with that one. And I, um, there's a book called Fever Pitch by Nick Hornby, and I'm sure everyone's heard of it. Um, I, I'm a football fan at heart, and you know, watching football in the 80s was very depressing um, on, on lots of fronts, uh, and very tragic and very sad. And I think being a football fan, you, you were maligned, even just by opening your mouth, and not, people, not many people would admit to it. And I felt uh, the intellectualism had gone out of the sport, uh, the right to be passionate, um, obsessive, and a nerd, um, uh, and that book reignited all that for me, um, and I, I read it in a day. And I'm not a, I'm not a great reader, but that that that's that's a book that sort of for me um, validated, you know, what how I felt about football. But I think you can apply whatever's said in that book to any passion. And uh, you know, what I tell the children, you know, um, both mine and the school children, is when they're, they're finding a decision difficult, whether it's what A levels to take or which university to pick. I say, just apply one word and you'll get it right. And that's the word passion. If you're passionate about a subject or you're passionate about a particular university or a particular course, you will get through your wet Tuesday nights and you will stay up till one in the morning doing something because, and you stop watching the clock. And if you, you know, if you can get a job in your life where you don't watch the clock, you've nailed it. Uh, and that's normally down to being passionate. And Fever Pitch is all about passion for me. And the second book that inspired me was Danny Champion of the World, which I mentioned earlier on because just, you know, it's about relationship building between the father and the son. Uh, and there's also little clips about the school, the fact that his teacher used to write weird facts on the blackboard every day. And you know, I read that book when I was 10, and I can still remember it. Yeah, they're, they're, like I say, but both very powerful. And I, and I think that whole thing about passion is incredibly important. You know, as, as, a, as a musician, you know, it was during my school time that I felt this was something I had to do. You know, it gave me a voice. It gave me a feeling that I didn't have in any other way. And I know I'm always sort of quite careful because it's very easy to say the arts are really important to do that, which I do thoroughly believe in. But I also know that it's different for everybody. You know, it could be any subject or any area or any any kind of part of your life that, like you say, if there's just that chink of passion or that that's something that makes um, makes your heart sing a little bit, then that has to be the world telling you that's where you want to be putting your energies. I think as a head, it's my task to make sure all the children under my care find two things. One, their passion, and two, their tribe. Um, and if you can get them to the end of school life passionate about something, whatever that might be, and found finding their tribe, you, you get a really fulfilled human being. So I, I had a, a child at one of my schools. It, it, it's really difficult to find what they're passionate about. Eventually, we found cricket scoring. So he couldn't really play cricket, but he, he scored brilliantly. And the cricketers in that side would never have 
the two the two Venn diagrams would never have crossed. But they, they thought he was brilliant because the accuracy of his data about their cricket they could use to make them better cricketers. And he just loved being a cricketer. And we ended up building a scoreboard for this this lad and he flew. And I, I thought there is a passion for everyone, whatever it is, whether it's cricket scoring or music, as you said, or the arts or football. But, you know, it's a school's job to find that passion, present the smorgasbord of stuff. Here's everything you could do. You know, you've got five years to find what it is that floats your boat. And then you've got five years to find where you go next, where you can be amongst your tribe. And I think, you know, I always feel very sad for people who've never found their passion or their tribe. I I love the, the, the two sides of that, because like you say, finding your passion in cricket, it's that am I a batsman? Am I a bowler? <laughs> Do I want to be a wicketkeeper? You know, <laughs> you know, you don't think about the scoring element or yeah. or that kind of thing. And and I love I love the way that it's only when you think you know in that breadth that you you get the chance for those things to sort of cross over and to be part of something in a different way. And um, you know, as a musician, you know, you sort of think of the people on stage, but you've got the the management, the back people, the people that help you tour, the people that set the stage up, the people that are in the library, the people that are planning the next concerts and dealing with the education. You know, there's a whole world there, which unless you like, I say, have both sides of of the the thought pattern really and of what's involved, you know, you're you're never going to come across. And I think understanding that is is really key. And I love the way you put that together. It's really, really, really clever. I've always thought drama productions as a, as a head teacher nail all those areas. You can be a techie, you can be artistic, you can paint the set, you can be an organiser, you can have a clipboard. You've got the actors and the people who made main leads and those things, but you've, there's such a wealth of jobs there that can, that can cover everybody. And I think you know, a school that's getting things right has got a smorgasbord of stuff, you know, of, of offers that, that can find everyone. Yeah, love that. And and just to finish off, we're we're talking more and more about um, education on fire and the idea of feedback, inspiration, resilience, and empowerment. So I'm keen when we talk about those elements and being on fire. What's the what's the one thing that kind of strikes you, or a piece of advice related to that that you'd like to finish off with? Yeah, I had to think about this, and I I, I pitched it more in terms of relationships, um, people I've met on my way. Um, and uh, you know, I, I had some you know, time to myself recently, and I, I look back, you know, at, you know, six or seven schools I've worked in, all the settings, all the jobs I've done, and there are people that stand out for you that you take with you. And you know, characterizing myself as a head, you know, I, I think I've taken bits and bobs from lots of places. It's not just other heads, but you know, people I've spoken to who uh, who, who have not been nowhere near headship, but you know. It is really the heads I work for that have that have influenced me in those areas. And I think about feedback. You know, I had some very honest heads <laughs> who would tell me where where I was going wrong and where I was going going right. You know, uh, and I, I will call them out. You know, the, the, I've got a friend called Neil I used to work for Hugh uh, and Chris Tung, who, who I worked for early on in my career, who 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 were very um, generous in their feedback and equally inspired me. And often. When I'm in a pickle as a head or whenever, you know, the phrase I repeat to myself is what would Neil do? What would Q have done? What would Chris have done in this in this point to inspire myself? And in terms of resilience, you know, that they, they, they've all demonstrated huge resilience and cope with big changes in their careers, uh, which has helped arm me. Because headship's a strange old fish in that, you know, 
things can be going really well <laughs> and then they, they, they can't. And you, I think you've got to treat those two imposters the same. As a friend said to me, just because you played well in a rugby match doesn't mean you're the best rugby player in the world. And just because you played badly doesn't mean you're the worst. You're still where you are. It's just a transient thing. And, in, and the last thing, empowerment, you know, the, 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 these three gave me huge opportunities at, at all the schools I worked at. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm forever grateful. So in terms of your acronym FIRE, I'd say those three individuals for me ticked all those boxes. Fantastic. And and I think I think that's been a bit of a theme today in terms of the relationship and the, and the, and that kind of human connection and and wherever that happens to be, like you say, whether it's some um, peer to peer, whether it's colleague to colleague, or, or or a combination of all of those things, whatever age you are, they're all incredibly important. And and like I say, finding your tribe and those people that can help you as you develop through life is really really important. So, well, th- thank you so much. It's been an absolutely fascinating conversation, and and I think what you're doing is is going to help so many so many people and so many young people. Um, so tell us again where people can find out more and um, and how to get in contact. So they can look me up on LinkedIn, Simon Antwis, A-N-T-W-I-S, or click on our website, steer.education. Um, yeah, or even you can email me if they want to, Simon Antwis, all one word, at steer.global. Fantastic. Simon, thank you so much indeed. Mark, thank you. So a big thank you to Simon. I hope this was really informative and gave you something to take away, and I really hope it's just this sharing of creative and inspiring learning which this podcast is all about if we can just get to one person that is able to do something different that changes someone's life then what a privilege that is so thank you so much for listening and thank you so much for being part of education on fire now i mentioned we're going to be back with our 250th episode on the 2nd of may but just in case you can't wait that long there will be a bonus episode between now and then because this week i'm going to be going to the bet show in london and I'm going to be chatting to people involved in BET. I'm going to be chatting to people that we've had on the podcast before because they're going to be there presenting or, or have a stand there. So I'm going to be catching up with lots of people, sharing some amazing ed tech and resources and everything that's related to BET. So we're going to have that as a kind of a live from the BET show podcast, which, as I say, is just going to be released shortly after I've been there and hopefully had a wonderful time. I'm going to be chatting with people from ViewSonic as well um, and presenting some stuff about podcasting and education. So I'm really looking forward to that and I'm looking forward to sharing it with you. So again, thanks so much for listening and can't wait to be back with you again very soon. Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.